welcome to our podcast um, where we're looking at uh, facing issues. And we are FACES, a Luton-based Christian and Muslim charity working to strengthen resilience within faith communities against child sexual exploitation and other forms of harm. And with me, I've I've got Lucy Shuka and uh, Peter Adams, and we're going to have a look at the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse um, that was initiated by Theresa May uh, back in 2014, but has only been uh, released uh, more recently in October um, this this year. Um, I've read through as much of the report. Uh, it's 400 pages long. I've read through 100 pages of all the survivors' accounts, and I love the way the report's been done. It puts the victims' voices right up front, and it uses those victims' voices to break assumptions and to break through on on um, narratives that we might otherwise gather um, about uh, child sexual abuse. I'll, I'll read some of the harrowing statements from this report, just as a bit of an introduction into this, um, and help set the ground for our discussion. Um, and um, a couple of things from the report. Uh, the report is based on um, 7,300 victim statements um, that are part of the Truth Project, which was a project initiated to help um, those voices be heard. And, um, and so the language and everything from that comes from those victims um, and is rather stark reading. And I think um, in, in terms of trying to make a hit an understanding of it all um those those statements are incredibly powerful but also break assumptions and i think one of the areas of this is uh, in the years i've been involved in in helping protect churches and places from child uh, um, sexual exploitation um and and those kind of things the narrative changes and the scene changes. It's not a static um, thing that you can just handle once for all. It's got to be continually moving. And here's some of the quotes from the report. Uh, there are nearly 13 million children in England and Wales. Each of these deserves to be protected from harm. Babies, toddlers, and children are potent potentially at risk with current estimates, and this is horrific, that indicate that one in six girls and one in 20 boys experience child sexual abuse before the age of 16. In March 2020, the Office for National Statistics estimated that 3.1 million adults in England and Wales had experienced sexual abuse before the age of 16. Uh, reflecting and guiding principle uh, that child's welfare is paramount, the inquiry recommendations are focused on making England and Wales places for children to grow up safely and thrive. Uh, another quote, another equally harrowing uh, thing from the report says, in surveys, girls were three times as likely as boys to experience child sexual abuse. 
disabled participants are twice as likely to describe such experiences as non-disabled participants. And those who lived in care homes were nearly four times as likely to have experienced child sexual abuse. Those who experienced childhood neglect were nearly five times as likely to experience child sexual abuse as those that had not. Um, another um, quote actually estimates the cost to society at 10 billion pounds cost um, that abuse costs society uh, at, um, and 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 there's are many many um, statements on from this um, it it speaks about all levels of society it speaks about uh, religious institutes who have been bad at reporting what's been going on and left situations be continuing. It goes into Westminster and, and reports into Westminster about uh, um, MPs trying to protect um, the, the view of things rather than deal with the issues. It speaks of um, schools. It speaks of medical practices. It speaks of all levels of society where child abuse is happening. And it has the stories of victims at the forefront of that. The first part of the report, 100 pages, are just statements from victims and explanations of what was found in these surveys. To read that through is harrowing. I, I did it last night, and it was it was absolutely. I felt yuck at the end of it, thinking, "Good grief, is this the society we live in?" It it takes away, you know, any sense of defence, saying, "Oh, we've got this right." It it goes into policing. It goes into the defence in. Uh, uh, it, you know, forces. It goes into all different areas of society and where this is happening, schools, um, you know, boarding schools, all kinds of settings. And one of the statements that stood out to me from one of the, the survivors of this is, is abusers are not the odd people in society. They're very often the most relational, likable, um, kind of personable people you can come across. And so any kind of sense of thinking, you know, how do we in society protect from this? How do we look at this? Is, is we can't have a stereotype in mind. We've got to approach it in a different way. So there's a lot of recommendations from the report. Hopefully at the end of this podcast, we'll look into some of those. Um, but FACES was initiated uh, to tackle some of the false narratives in in the area of child exploitation and and so i think as a an, a body this is an encouraging report for us but also devastating because it shows nothing's changed too much there's still a need for things to move forward in this um, and so I've got a panel of experts. Uh, I've also been joined by Melissa, who's uh, on staff here with Faces uh, with me. And I'll just open up the conversation um, and um, just see what do you make of this report? Uh, how do you think it's been done? And, and basically, uh, what do you think we've got to learn from it? And um, I'll just open up to whoever would like to dive in first.
there's a waving of hands back and forth here uh, of who should dive in. I, I, I think, Peter, would you like to start off by just oh, I'm sharing... I'm going to defer to Lucy if I might. <laughs> uh, okay, but I was just going to ask from the church point of view, because you're you're involved with the, the, the Diocese of St. Albans into some of the Church of England uh, National Synod. I just wondered, are there things there that have been building towards this report that you'd I mean, like to bring in? Everything you've said, Nigel, is absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the way the inquiry took place was that they focused on a number of separate institutions, and one of those was the Church of England. And then this report that you've been summarising is the, the final report on the whole process. So it summarises 19 reports or so. Um, and as I say, one of those inquiries was on the Church of England. Um, there were two reports on that, it came out in two parts, but there was also a report on the Catholic Church and a second report on some of their institutions. And then there was another one on other religious institutions. So actually, religion has been a key focus. And I mean, that is shocking. And that's really... You know, that's the, the particular focus of FACES is actually the way that abuse has so often been hidden behind religious structures and that faith has often been used to sort of cover up um, and almost sometimes justify it. And I mean, so I, you know, I, what you've just summarised is so right. But I, you know, reading the, the two reports on the Church of England, one of which came out in... 2019-20, the other one came out last year. Um, I mean, it's shocking. I sat through probably two, two to three weeks of, of the inquiry online um, over, the, over the years. And, and then I've been involved since in speaking out, in speaking to issues within the church structure, within the, the General Synod of the Church of England, being one of the lead voices on, on, on safeguarding in that and, yeah, I mean, I think what the report does is, is it changes the whole focus. I mean, professionals like our friend Lucy, who'll be talking in a minute, I'm sure, you know, have often have urged us regularly over lots of years to be child-focused, child in our focus on, on, on child sexual abuse and exploitation. But what this is, what this report has done is solidly, at a national level, move the ground onto a child-focused uh, approach to it. Previously, it's been institution-focused. It's been essentially about defending institutions, and and that's really what the you know that's the shocking thing mm. when you look at, at a at a faith organisation like the Church of England, it should be about bringing love and care to people, mm -hmm. and especially the vulnerable, especially children. But the structures have been there to defend leadership. Mm -hmm. The culture has been one that has defended leadership in institutions, not the vulnerable, not the children. And so this report has solidly moved that. And that's why it, it, it's very harrowing because it uses the voices. Well, not 
in many cases, most cases, these are not children now. Mm. You know, you and I know one of the people who reported to the Truth Commission. And their report was over 50, more than 50 years ago. Mm. And that, you know, there are so many like that who, after many years, 5, 10, 15, 20 years and more, have now been able to talk and be heard in a way they've never been heard mm. until now. And that has allowed that. And those voices are being captured and we must respond. That, that's that's fantastic, Peter. Some great points there. And I think, you know, the, the voices being heard means so much to the survivors. Yeah. And that's come through in the report as well. Lucy, uh, I saw your hand up there. Do you want to dive in? Yeah, I, I think just to really affirm the same thing i think we we know we know from decades of research and where we have been able to listen to survivors already that being heard but ignored or not being heard uh, or or being then blamed for what you've said being excluded um, not achieving any sort of sense of justice or recognition or for it, or for it, it doesn't stop you tell someone and it doesn't stop that is such an abuse on top of the abuse that those you trust, for whatever reason, do not intervene. They don't tell anyone and they don't protect you. And I, I sort of have that feeling of like, don't move on too quickly from the, this, the profound discomfort of identifying with the adult who hears but doesn't hear, who sort of feels something but then too quickly moves on. And I think... Um, I, I agree the structure of the report is really helpful because it shows you what it looks like. When, you're, when the first thing you read is not adult language, institutional jargon of what we should do and what we've heard, but it's just the voices of, of, of all of those, I can't you know, can believe 7,000 people, the time we have taken, I'm really grateful, although it's slow and it's sometimes probably been frustratingly slow, the time it takes to really listen and carry on listening and not rush through the discomfort of listening to the solutions is so important. So the structure of the report really emphasizes, emphasizes that. But it um, but it is profoundly uncomfortable for us to acknowledge that, to, to ask ourselves first, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I act? Why wouldn't what would prevent me from um, acting on what I've heard or what would cause me to kind of look away in some way? And and I and the, these I suppose the challenge in all of this, whatever part of society and whether it's within our families or within our institutions, professional, wherever we sit, um, I just hope that we spend a good amount of time in this kind of listening. And it, it just so happened that yesterday I was reading small document that someone had written that was a bit of a really it was a it was a from a faith perspective why should we prioritize children and young people in our churches or why should we prioritize thinking about their needs or having them in our churches and one of the points that was made um, was was about having children in the middle and this person this person had just sort of talk, talked about a story in the gospel of Matthew where uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it says he called a child and he put the child in the middle of them. 
And he then goes on to say, unless you change and become like children, you won't experience the kingdom of heaven. And, and if you welcome a child in my name, you welcome me. Mm. And I, that sort of ringing and, and resonating with me, that if you listen to these voices, you know, for, for those of us who see ourselves in that particular faith, if you listen to these voices, you are listening to me. Um, and, and it's very, to put a child in the middle and to see the disciples' resistance, like they don't belong. We're having another conversation. They don't belong here. I just hear all those reasons of, you know, the things that the report said. This child's responsible. They were seductive. Um, we don't believe them. We, we don't know. It's too hard to, to prevent this. Or like the endless kind of tying ourselves in knots. It's not easy. I'm not saying that knowing how to respond is in any way easy. But I just sort of hear that, hear that challenge again of like, Whatever it means to read this report, it's a bit like that moment of Jesus putting a child right in the middle of the adults and saying, look, listen. Mm. Yeah. Uh, could I bring you in here, Melissa? Um, so uh, thanks for that, Lucy. Uh, some great points there. I think it, it, we're going to have to have several stabs at this subject um, to a uh, uh, number of podcasts to try and get it uh, covered um, in, the, in the time available. But Melissa, would you like to come in? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, can you hear me? Okay. I know we haven't. But I can't yeah. turn it up. I'm okay. You can't turn it up. Okay. Um, That's no problem. I was just going to echo what Lucy was talking about in two points there about, you know, we really need to ask ourselves what would stop us from uh, doing something if we were the one that a disclosure was made to, or if we, um, uh, you know, thought that something was happening, what is it that stops people from taking that action? Because so many people in all of these stories, would have been in a position to uh, stop something and have failed at that in whatever their sort of capacity was. Mm. Um, and then also the story that you just shared, Lucy, reminded me of, of one thing I wanted to bring up about our attitudes towards children, and um, which is one thing that's obviously talked about in the report, um, how we historically talk about uh, or view children and, and don't respond to them in a way that seeks justice, but actually can put blame onto them um, or suspicion onto them. Um, so I think that focus of of actually thinking about you know who are we centering here, and what do we what are our views of children as a whole and as a society, where are our flaws in how we treat uh, children and young people? I think that really will shine a light on solutions and and steps that or if not solutions steps that need to be made in order to change um, change the outcomes of of, of the, the kinds of things we're reading about. Um, and I think those attitudes that we we talk about and that we talk about a lot in our faces work, obviously that also speaks to why there are so many differences in disparities between boys and girls, disabled and non-disabled children, and those in care home, those who experience neglect, why there is such a difference in the, the levels of abuse that people in those groups might experience. And it again relates to our attitudes as a society and as different um, institutions. Um, and our attitudes that are linked to that specific part of their sort of experience and identity. Um, so unpacking that is a really sort of crucial part to, to stop it from continuing and to stop having another inquiry in so many years that yeah. really shows the breadth of the problem again. Yeah, thanks, thanks Melissa. They're very wise words there. Uh, learning from these things is so important, and that's why we really need to look at this report. It, uh, it's got a huge scope and, and brings uh, a clarity with it. Um, I, I just think um, if I go to Peter first and then to Lucy, would that be all right? Yeah, uh, over to you, Peter. Um, Melissa's point there, 
about what I think really focuses it down. What would we do if somebody comes to us, the reports? And I just, I wanted to pull out two instances, one that's actually not in the report, but which I know it, it well is in the report, but I haven't got a quote before me. I sat in a meeting about three years ago where the initial report on the Church of England was going to be reported. And it was a group, a sort of subsection meeting together. And the response was, well, we need to be really careful how we do this because we do not want our response to tarnish the reputation of the church. <laughs> I, I, there are occasions in my life where I am inclined to lose it. And on this occasion, I had to restrain myself physically from jumping up and saying, what on earth are you saying? Have you look at yourself in the mirror? What does this communicate? I mean, those of you who can see me, you can see my anger is insane. <laughs> um, but, and the, and the report has lots of instances of that. I just haven't got one in front of me. But I also, I mean, Melissa spoke, Melissa spoke as a Muslim, but she speaks as a human being, actually. And that's what we're finding in faces. So often, you know, our, our voices are those, actually we speak as humans, but with the compassion that, that, that is drawn out in us through our faith. But I mean, the voices are there and they come from all religions. I mean, I wrote down a report, a quote last night, Victims and survivors who tried to acknowledge and bring accountability often felt let down by their institutions. Hussein said that he was told that he was tarnishing the reputation of the Muslim religion and described feeling let down by Muslim authority figures who have authority to deal with this but won't. And, and I, I, I actually, just as we're recording now, a, a, an email flashed across my screen from a survivor who had exactly that same quote. The same words seem to find their place in institutions. And what this is doing to us, and particularly for churches, is to say to us, how will we respond next time somebody discloses abuse to us? And and that's that's a focus. I, I know that's what Lucy wants to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think one of one of the thanks, Peter, and your your anger is justified there, and and I'm sure would be helpful to many. Um, also, looking at it, it was interesting. Some of the healthcare abuse was higher than church religious institutions, which actually, if you listen to the press, you'd hear the, a different story, uh, which is really interesting in the report as well. Uh, over to you, Lucy. Mm. Well, yeah, I want, wanted to briefly say something about this recommendation about mandatory reporting, that it would that a recommendation that legally those in positions of trust or professionals, if something is said, there's a disclosure made and you don't act, that that would be illegal. And I know there's lots of you know, comment debate about that as a law and as a way to kind of um, address this. But what struck me in listening to Alexis Jay, who's the chair of the inquiry, just very quickly go through three of the headline things to come out of 
the inquiry, the, the, the frame before she began speaking said, why mandatory reporting? And very simply, her response was, because when we listened to survivors, uh, those who'd been abused as children and said, what would have made a difference? This is what they said. <laughs> they said, if someone had been compelled to, if they knew that they had to, and maybe if there had been some consequence for them. So, I mean, that is really sobering for us, isn't it? That we, we would all love to, having heard the harrowing statistics and read some of the quotes, believe that, no, I would be different. I would be. I, would, I wouldn't prioritise my own welfare. I would go through the discomfort of reporting or being a whistleblower. If it turns out that human nature continues to be as it always has been and we continue to experience these barriers also i i i'm grateful for this provocation which is to say that there are no perfect laws there will be all sorts of devil in the detail of this all sorts of unintended consequences all sorts of ways that mandatory reporting is going to be very tricky if we get there but i really appreciated the straightforward rationale which is why I do this because the people who've been through it said that would have made a difference um, when all the training in the world does not. Um, and I think we need to really, if, if we are thinking about what we feel about that, we need to really listen to that. Um, and maybe just briefly before I let others um, move on and wrap up, when I was hearing your anger, Pete, Peter, again, what I was reminded of, a different, a different story that I find inspiring and challenging when I'm thinking about what faith for me, how does faith for me provoke, challenge, try to draw me into responses in this in this space i think of jesus going to the temple and finding money lenders and turning over it actually says he went away in one of the gospels went away and made a whip which i mean in terms of like what does that make you feel it's awful but it went away and drove out the kind of what what he saw as being unjust and exploitative and an abuse of what the temple should have been um there was there was there was anger there and there was action and there, and it was profoundly disruptive and there would have many people who said who's going to clear this up and what about those people and their and their income on so in, in lots of ways the, the the action that disrupts is not neat and it can be it can cause all kinds of discomfort but it's important when a greater truth and a greater justice is at stake i suppose yeah, thank you, Lucy. And you've you've touched on um, some of the responses to that. Um, so the main recommendations in the report, there's 20 of them, uh, but the three main ones are a, a new criminal offence to uh, for failure to report um, uh, when required, um, and um, uh, also um, I'll just it's just disappeared from the screen. Hold on a sec, um, and the. the yeah. So the main the main responses are um, monetary redress from institutions in in and also creating a child protection authority um, inspecting institutions associated with children. So so there's there's some some big steps there. It's moving um, things from just being a you you have to report to being a criminal offence if you don't which actually puts some weight behind things. And so, so there's, there's some of those things. I don't know if you, any of you would like to comment on, um, on any of those. Um, yeah, Melissa? Yeah, just following on from where Lucy was as well, talking about mandatory reporting and really good point, actually acknowledging that there is always going to be a trickiness to it and there is going to be kind of problems around it, um, as we've seen with other types of mandatory reporting. Um, and also that it's one part of the puzzle 
you know that training actually is is a big part of it as well but training is not going to to make all the all the difference um and i think that's a, a key part in all of this we know that it's such a complex issue that there has to be a kind of multifaceted type of approach and having mandatory reporting as part of that but if that also makes it so that um, better training and proper policies um, are are also, you know, in a sense, mandatory in order to meet that requirement. Um, then maybe that does make uh, a bigger change than we've seen, because it's the individuals themselves that need to acknowledge where their attitudes towards certain groups might be causing a barrier, might be stopping them from seeing things, might be stopping them from acting, um, and then all the way to the other side <coughs> of that, where if mandatory reporting is so, then. It also means that the proper follow-up is going to happen from authorities, which we've read, you know, wasn't always the case, even when people did report it. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely part of the puzzle. And I think that's why it's important that all of those recommendations are looked at critically and, and, and applied where they can be, because one or two of them uh, is not going to make the massive change that we need to, to stop this from continuing to happen. Yeah. yeah. Th thanks, Melissa. Uh, over to you, Peter. Any uh, comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I think just one one of the voices I hear in response to mandatory reporting is definitely there amongst some sections of the of the church. Um, I think as faced, we often understandably feel that our allegiance to our faith is higher than to our government, and therefore to the civil authorities. At times, that can be sometimes there, and I'm hearing voices of why? Why does the state feel it has a, a right to tell me what to do as a person of faith in the conduct of my faith? And to that, I just want to again respond: <laughs> sort sort out your understanding of your faith. Your faith is not there to cover criminal activity. Mm. But that idea of, of we have a higher allegiance, the state can't tell us what to do. Uh, our allegiance to our faith, to the, to the Bible, to the Quran, to any other uh, holy text is not an excuse for covering up evil. And we just need to be really clear on that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Peter. That's very, very crystal clear. Uh, Melissa, uh, would you like to follow that? Yeah, just, um, I think this this quote from the, the summary really speaks to what you've just said as well, Peter. As with other religious organizations, the Anglican church is marked by its explicit moral purpose in teaching right from wrong. In the context of child sexual abuse, the church's neglect of the physical, emotional and spiritual well-being of children and young people in favour of protecting its reputation was in conflict with its mission of love and care for the innocent and vulnerable. Now, obviously, that, that quote is, it, it, it reads very, you know, negative and, and saddening, and, and, but also it's got two real clear reminders there and as, a, as Christians and Muslims and as people who try to... Um, you know, work primarily with faith organisations to boost their safeguarding capacity and their understanding. Actually, the reminders there are in teaching right from wrong uh, and also that our mission is about love and care for innocent and vulnerable as a large part of both of our missions as, as people yeah. of faith. Um, 
and so re remembering that and speaking into that and um, reminding ourselves and, and the organizations we work with that that is what we're about um, and centering that in our search for, for, for solutions to these problems and how we respond to these problems and um, I think is really key because you know we do believe that we have a lot of answers in what our religion teaches us um, so being able to to apply that and, and see how that can work I think is is really important while we take it on board all of these other um, kind of recommendations and the kind of wider societal structures that we have to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, th thank you all. Um, we've got to the end of our time um, where we, we need to end this off. Um, but just to say, um, this is tough material. Some of you listening to this may have been affected by that. Um, we encourage you to get in touch with people who can help you. Um, if you need to, um, you can use us as well, um, our, our website, uh, faces.org.uk uh, is, is where you can go for some more information on this. Um, also saying that we're going to follow this podcast with a podcast on the Trojan horse, which is a, a podcast done by um, the New York Times. And uh, we're going to do that uh, for the next week. So if you're tuning into these weekly, uh, that's what we hope to follow this one with. But we will certainly have more discussion on this report. We haven't touched on any of the racial aspects of that that are raised in the report. And there's some of those things we can get into much deeper and look at the balance of and, and even question um, and, and look at. So uh, thank you all for your comments. It's been a wonderful discussion this morning on a, a very tough subject. Uh, but thank you once again.